The name of this sermon I'd like to preach tonight would be, is called um, A Vicious Cycle. And um, the second part of this, um, it'll explain why. Now, when I use the word philosophy, it's the way I mean it in the way we think and, and how and how we come to think things that we do. So we all have a philosophy, and where did we get it? So there's three ways we can come about the way that has formed our thinking. The first way is through theory. Now, most of us um, will fear uh, that in, as in Christians, we pretty much should have our priorities set when it comes to what we think about the world. But when you're a non-Christian, you're faced with theory. And it comes from philosophical thought. So basically, it comes from philosophers like Plato or Aristotle ancient uh, writings and so on and so forth would be basically be Aristotelian and Platonic knowledge. So those are the knowledges that where a lot of the secular and humanistic thought comes from is those thoughts because it's basically a non-Christian uh, basis. The second is where some of us um, before coming Christians or even as Christians, uh, it second one is the arts, which is basically movies, music, and other entertainment. So when we see a movie or we listen to music or like a play, that is a philosophy. So we will gain something from that, and whether it's uh, non-Christian or not, uh, it's really, it's powerful. And the reason why I say it's powerful, because first of all, it's amusing. Second of all, it involves emotion, whether it be happy or sad, glad or whatever it may be, love, and it has a logical flow to it. So. That method, whether it's the philosophy is right or wrong, it's a powerful vehicle to get across a point about a philosophy. The third one is at home. So when you're growing up as a child, you learn what your parents teach you at home. And whatever the philosophy is that your parents teach you is what you are going to be reared up in, in basically an environment. So what we hear growing up what it'll, it'll shape or break us in the way we are raised. So if you're in an abusive home, there's problems that come from that. But if you're in a Christian home, you could see where that could be building. Yeah. Now, we'll either be taught theology or basic humanism. Basically, we do what we can do for ourselves, by ourselves. And in theology, we look to God. So there's two homes. There's no three, four, there's two kinds of homes. It's either in God or it's not. Yeah. Now, those are the three ways we get our thoughts and what we are taught. The Bible tells us that the reference, that the Bible tells us that we reverence and trust God, and in that is the beginning of true thought. Because God has created us unto himself. He did not create us to ourselves, but he created us so that we glorify him and to bring glory to him. Now, would it be a bold statement for, the, for us who have children or nephews or grandchildren, would it be a bold statement to say that judge me on the way my children, my grandchildren, my niece or nephew 
judge me on the way they act in word and deed. Is that a bold statement? That's Latin. In other words, that's saying what kind of influence we have on our children or on our family or so on and so forth, people who you've raised. That'd be pretty bold. That would be, in my opinion, testing what you preach, testing what you do. The habits that you do in your home reflect, I believe, on your children. Yeah. And, and their children go out into that world yeah. and affect the world in that sense. Proverbs, if you turn to Proverbs chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Proverbs chapter 1, 7 and 8 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Verse 8 says, My son, hear the instructions of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Now, that is, I believe, the third, which is the home. And that's where you're going to get that first thought, that first teaching is from the home. It's from the mother and the father. And it's the examples they give. It's either a godly home or it's not. And then, when, you, when the children grow up in a home, they're either going to take what you've taught them and apply that to the world. Is your influence strong enough in the home to where those children are going to affect the world? Or is it going to be to a point where they're going to go out into the world, they're going to espouse what they've learned at home, they're going to like be laughed at. Are they going to stand strong or are they going to give in to what the popular method of thought is or the popular thought or the, whatever the like is at that time? Are they going to collapse? How strong is your children's faith? And when they go off to school, to universities, to high school, or they go off to, to some kind of college or, or of some sort, is the theory of secular and, and humanistic thought going to affect them because of what you've taught in their home? Is your teaching in the home strong enough to withstand the theories of Platonic and Aristotelian logic? Because what that's going to do is going to what, what thought nowadays are based is to tear down the Christian faith, to tear down a transcendent being that we are supposed to give reverence to, to give um, uh, uh, allegiance to. It tears down that, so what they do is they tear that down and they, they fill you with other different kinds of philosophies, other kinds of thought, non-Christian. Now, that's where the point where I, I think it's, you know, uh, it correlates with, with the message about planting seeds. You have to plant, there's, it's a good to plant seeds, but you don't just plant just any seed. You have to plant the right seed. Yeah. 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 Now, what we learn at home, and what you can learn, of course, through theory and also through the arts, but what we learn at home is should be giving answers to. And at one point, we will try our best to answer the four basic questions of life which is origin, morality, meaning, and destiny. Origin is where we come from. Morality is what is right and wrong and meaning, uh, why we are here, and destiny, where we go after we die. Now, when we search for knowledge through philosophy, the arts, or our home, we are searching for a unifying answer, to make sense of everything. Because if I'm telling my son at home at the table and saying, son, we shouldn't do this because of this, this, and this. That works at home. But he's going to go out in the world and says, does it work out there too? 
that's why we're suppo- we're, well, they're called universities. We're supposed to learn unity and diversity. But if you go to school, if you have ever gone to a university or ever gone to a school, even a high school, it doesn't teach unity and diversity. It teaches, it teaches uh, secular thought that is, uh, is an elitist idea. That means that that idea is only one idea about the world, and that's it. There's no other ideas other than that, or whether it agrees or not. But the Christian faith goes against that. So what we are looking for is unity and diversity. So we're so in, in Christ and the, the the gospel is the the unity that is going to unify all the diversity. But we as Christians are should be able to articulate our faith so that we you can unite that unity we can unite that diversity into unity, which is Christ Jesus. Now we have to be able to do that, and because of, of because of the the overwhelming the the arts and the theories that are out there that are combined, combating our children's and, and, and adult minds to think other things, to, to lead them off into rabbit trails, to think of other things other than God, is, is dangerous. Okay, now, this is a little, kind of a little history lesson here. Now, just as Aristotle, which is a, he's a philosopher, he's a really, really uh, influential philosopher, when they found his writings, they thought it was the greatest thing in the world. Just as Aristotle's philosophy directly affected Alexander the Great, now, Alexander the Great was a conqueror, but he didn't have those ideas until Aristotle taught him these things, and he's like, hey, yeah, that makes sense. So he tried to unify the whole world under one rule. That was thought. Now, just as Friedrich Nietzsche, which is a, is a well-known philosopher, uh, ph- ph- uh, atheistic philosopher that changed the 20th century, his philosophy directly affected Adolf Hitler. Now, think about this. Hitler was responsible for the death of six million people. And that's a thought of one man. A thought. It's called superior over the inferior. This is why knowledge without morality, ethics, and principle is deadly. Knowledge without ethics, principles, and morals are deadly. Science can tell us what something is. It can. They put it under a microscope, they test it, they do all these things. So science can tell us a massive amount of information. But it does not tell us what to do with that information. It just gives it to us. This is where philosophers will insert themselves. The question is, who are you listening to? That's the question. Who are you listening to? The direct effect of a lie is bad. The direct effect of truth is good. It's simple as that. Philosophies such as atheism that is being articulated so well to adults and our children could explain some of the problems that we face on a day-to-day basis. Okay, watching too much TV, that's kind of a now thing, okay? But if you take it back to ancient times, thoughts outside of Christ can lead you to so many other problems in life uh, from, I mean, because you make up your own laws and your own ethics and your own morality as you go. But when you're in Christ, we have a set of, our, of God's rules, of God's ethics and principles and morals, how to live our lives properly. Yes. Yeah. 
Most philosophies are incomplete because it does not answer or even attempt to answer every point there is to the human condition. Now, the human condition is very wide. We're depraved, basically. We have no good in us, so we need somebody like Christ who is perfect to look to him yes. to be an intercessor uh, between God and man so that he can present us holy. We need that. Because we can't do it. If we were able to do it, we wouldn't need Christ, but we need Christ because we're depraved. We cannot keep the law in every point. We can't. And if we could do that, we'd be perfect. So we're not perfect, so therefore we need a perfect person, which yes. is Jesus Christ. Yes. And he knew the human condition. He articulated, if you read the, the New Testament, he articulated human condition so well. I mean, you just, you just fall down and fold because you see how wicked and evil you are in comparison to God's holiness. Yeah. Most philosophies are fragmented without the very core of what the answers are. So every philosophy outside of Christ Christianity or Christendom, um, it's fragmented. It answers this question, but it doesn't answer this question. And if it answers this question, it doesn't match this answer. So it, it, it's really, it's fragmented. It can only answer situational uh, problems. Now, this is the second half. So hopefully that, that made sense, and then now hopefully that this will make sense in comparison to this, to that. There is a cycle that we all go through, but sometimes we are not willing to admit it. Now this cycle that I'm talking about is what I've learned through this men's group, and I think it's really, really, um, it, it, it helped me open up and, and to really see God's uh, holiness. It is a cycle that we are trapped in because we are unaware of it. Now, I hope you will take note and listen because this is something that really has, has done something in my life to change and to, to be self-aware. In, in my own personal walk with Jesus Christ. Most if, not most, if not all philosophers, will keep you in one place. But Jesus' teachings are far from that. And the reason why I say it is because philosophies will keep you humanistic. You rely on yourself. But in Christ, we rely on God. Yes, and when we rely on God, he's the answer to all of our needs. Yes. And he answers every question. Okay. Now, I take this from the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, 1 through 10. So if you turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. I'll read it in its entirety, and then I'll go over it again. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set... His disciples came unto him, and opened his mouth, and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for, their, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now those are powerful, powerful scriptures. 
Now I'll take the first one, which is poor in spirit. That is self-awareness of sin in comparison to God's holiness. Poor in spirit. We are aware that we are deprived. We are sinful. The second one is mourning. Godly sorrow over sin. We, like, sorrow over that. Over the fact that we recognize how deprived we are. The third one is meek. That's a childlike state where you're going to be, like, submissive and say, you know what? The Bible's right. Not only do I recognize that I'm sinful, not only do I sorrow over that I'm sinful, but now I'm willing to make a change. This is the cycle that we repeat over and over and over and over. I myself found myself in this cycle in my Christian walk and never getting past the third one. I would, as a Christian, I would be self-aware that I sinned, number one. Number two, I would have godly sorrow over it. And then number three, I'd become into a childlike state as, in, as being meek. And I would kind of stay there and feel good because I recognize that I did wrong and I'm just not going to do it no more. And I wouldn't go any further than that. And then when I would do something... I would go through the same thing over again and feel good and I'd end up at three, which would be which would be meek. I'd just stay there for some reason and I just wouldn't grow past that. Now this is the cycle that we repeat over and over. We feel better after this awareness, but do not take steps further. Number four, hunger and thirst for righteousness. That means stopping sinful habits. That's the next step. If you can get past number three, which is meek, onto hunger and thirst for righteousness, that step is going to lead you to the next steps. But getting there is the battle. Stopping sinful habits. I mean, I can't sit here and tell everybody, you know, that, that what you do, but you know what you do. We all know what we do. We are imperfect. Paul articulated that quite well. I do what I don't want to do, and what I want to do, I don't end up doing. So it's a battle between the spirit and the flesh. So when we, we hunger and thirst for righteousness, that hunger is not only making us aware of what we're uh, doing wrong, but we, are want to, we want to actually stop, and we stop doing what we know is wrong. Yes. Now, this is a stage that we sometimes reach, but if not taken serious, can fall back into the first three. These four, the internal work, where the inside change must come first. So think about it. Poor spirit, mourning, and meek. Those are the changes internally that have to take place first before it is manifested on the outside. Yeah. And then when you thirst after righteousness, you stop those things that you do or you're doing wrong, and you set your eyes on God and you move forward. Yeah. The fifth one is mercy. Beginning a partnership with Christ. 
The sixth one is pure in heart, where the healing is realized. The healing is realized. In these two, our hope in Christ matures. We grow and we grow. Now, there's times where I, when, I, when this was articulated to me, there was times I'd seen myself getting to this point, to pure in heart. But sometimes it just feels like I just can't stay there that long. I just seem to like regress sometimes and, and I end up back at number one, poor in spirit. And I found myself going through these cycles and going through these cycles when I realized what I was doing, which I think is number four, stopping it. Stopping those sinful habits, yeah. becoming hunger and thirst for righteousness. When you stop this cycle, you break it. Yeah. And the seventh one is peacemaker. To share Jesus, the only source of peace with God. And the eighth one, persecuted. Some will not want to hear of Jesus and will reject him and the messenger as well. And this is the full partnership with God. Now, I, I, I can admit that I probably have only gotten to maybe like four or five. But you see, this is the process of that sanctification, that process of the refining the gold when you keep heating it up and heating up and, and scraping off the, the dross and you heat up that gold to where it's pure. Yes. But this is a process that we must go through. Yes. This is a, something that, that I had never really had seen in, in this before, and when I started really studying this, I'm thinking like, this is totally correct. I mean, there's, there's this cycle that, that I go through, and, and, and you think of all the things that come out of this, these cycles that we go through. Yes. We have to seek. Uh, and hunger for righteousness, that is just, that sticks out of my mind for some reason. We seek and hunger for that. I mean, could we actually ask ourselves and say, do we do that on, on a daily basis? Do we seek and hunger for righteousness? That is difficult. And this really, you know, I mean, I could go into more, but I'm just going through these very lightly and, and not going to any examples or anything, but just bringing them to your attention. And I believe that once you get to the persecuted part, and I think we've all gotten to that before, where we are persecuted for our faith. Yeah. I've learned what persecution is. It's difficult because you're not part of the group anymore. You're not part of the, the guys or the girls. You're not, you stand out and you're like all alone. But you're not alone. You're never alone because God's always there. And I would rather have God's approval than my friends yeah. any day. This will drive us to be our best through Christ Jesus. Yeah. This does not make us better than anyone else, but it keeps us godly and Christ-like. Yeah. Yeah. And that is what the world desperately needs. Yeah. That's what the world needs. And the only way that we can give we can give to uh, uh, back to to God is to share this loving kindness, like my aunt said, uh -huh. that loving kindness. You know, getting through those through through, through the beatitudes and looking at that instead of it, it's like you know what, um, I'm just not there. We're you know, man and woman have to admit that we're not just not quite there yet. 
and through these processes that we can become Christ-like. We can become, um, you know, uh, one with God and, and, and just do his will. And, 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 then, and then through that, and through prayer, and through, uh, through fasting, and through reading the word, and getting to know, you can really, through the Spirit, you can really know where the need is. Because there's times where, even myself, I mean, I, 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 sometimes I like to refer to myself like to like a, a soldier and, and, and dropping bombs where it's not needed, you know? I want to I wanna drop bombs where there's needed, you know, where there's the problem, you know? Uh, I could waste all my ammunition on an on a argument, that's true. and that's all I'm doing is winning the argument. Yes. It's not winning a soul, yeah. Yeah. you see? And we need to learn to, to, to be in the Holy Spirit and to know just where to drop those bombs. Yeah. But they're not bombs of war, they're bombs of love. You know, knowledge to, to, to win that soul because I've learned the hard way. I mean, God has given me a mind, yes, given us all a mind, to think, to battle, to do these things. But I have used, and I, I, I admit this, and, I, and I've had to learn the hard way, but I've used this mind of mine to win battle. And that's it, just to win a, an argument. And I've tur- I probably have turned people away. But it's important that we plant the seeds that are uh, the, the seeds that are needed and, and we can plant all kinds of seeds but the seeds of love the, 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 the only through Christ Jesus those seeds are the most important yes. and if we don't do that we're just we're doing a disservice to God we're doing a disservice to Christ so I want to end it there and I'm just thankful for um, for uh, the word and, and, and for opportunity and for the church and for the congregation for giving me hearing because it's important uh that we hear these things, and it's important that we try to understand, you know, uh, um, where the, the word uh, should apply in our life, and, and we that we are, uh, let's say, coachable enough to to, to receive that word. Yeah. Because there's a lot of times where I would read something like, you know, I got to be accountable to that, you know. Oh, <laughs> you know? well, now I understand that. Now I gotta. Okay, there's one more thing i got to remember, you know. But, you know, you see, but I think if you're in Christ, you're going to want to do the, the Christ-like thing anyway, yeah. you know, yeah. and in prayer. So I want to end there, and I just want to um, thank uh, Pastor...